of never giving up, never giving in, no matter what they say. We do us, and doing us is giving our best to you. We got you covered all day, every day. We're not done. Metro FM, it's where you're at. 18 minutes it is before 8 p.m. You tuned in to uh, Metro FM Talk uh, with me, Ayabonga Tsawe. And uh, a lot happening. And uh, I didn't mention some of this when it comes uh, to the issues uh, on the ground at ESCOM. Now, one of these involve uh, uh, Public Enterprises Minister Pravin Gordon, uh, who it seems uh, his future is in the balance here, uh, according, of course, uh, to some of the utterances that are coming out uh, from the public and those within the ruling alliance. Uh, but uh, he uh, suggests that his future within the government lies in the hands of uh, the first citizen. Now, uh, President Sir Ramaphosa, and uh, his suggestion is that intense efforts are being made uh, to stabilize some of the SOEs, such as ESCOM. But uh, it seems there's a broad grouping within the alliance and uh, within uh, the public that is appealing to the president uh, to uh, place ESCOM under the control of a different ministry. Now, you would know that uh, ESCOM uh, uh, is overseen by the Department of Public Enterprises alongside some of our uh, uh, SOEs. And uh, one would also know that uh, there are some SOEs, if I think about the transport sector, that uh, fall under uh, the Department of Transport rather than uh, the Department of Public Enterprises. And uh, I must say I'm none the wiser as to... Uh, uh, I guess the rationale of having them sit in different places, but uh, many of uh, the folk are calling for ESCOM to be under the purview of uh, the Ministry of Resources and Energy uh, under the stewardship of uh, Minister Gwede Mandashe. And uh, it seems that uh, this uh, particular matter is uh, set for a showdown here, which uh, I must say uh, doesn't give uh, any more confidence about uh, our ability to keep the lights on and with it, of course, carry the fortunes and hopes of our economy. Now, as we go into our business wrap, we're going to take a look at that particular issue and uh, some of the other stories that are certainly have uh, tongues wagging in the marketplace. And one of those is uh, uh, that uh, potential uh, deal that was on the cards between Process and Just Eat. And uh, you would know that, of course, that Process is, um, I guess, the other moniker uh, for the interests of uh, Naspers. Uh, a global uh, internet player there and it seems that that deal has fallen through and even the improved offer uh, hasn't been appetizing enough for some of the shareholders business wrap of the day Joined for our business wrap on this Monday by uh, independent analyst market commentator and chartered accountant Snesipo Manindra Snesibok, good evening to you, uh, Unjani. Yeah, I, uh... Hi, hi. Yes, yes, yes. I hope we have you on a good line there. Unjani. And Pilele, Unjani. Good, man. Compliments of the new year. Uh, I certainly hope uh, you had a rest, uh, restive, festive, trying to restive or restful, uh, yeah, whichever. <laughs> uh, and I certainly hope you've come back energized. Yes, I have. It was good to be back home, Ekai, you know, with the family. The only thing is, the effects of the drought, you know, in our dear province. You know, I, I drove past uh, on my way to one of uh, the villages just outside Elite, Freist in Cape, to see the number of cows just, you know, dead on the side of the road. I mean, you, you would think maybe it's Chaisi or anything of that kind. But a lot of it is because, you know, there's no grass to eat. Um, and, and that speaks volumes about in that neck of the woods. But uh, it's certainly a conversation that uh, we'll have to pick up uh, this effect of climate change 
uh, on the most vulnerable and the poorest communities in our country. But talking about some of those communities, Nesipo, uh, many of uh, them uh, would have among them employees that are employed in uh, one, if not more, of the entities that fall under the MassMart banner. Now, uh, we know that macro game and uh, many other uh, uh, brands that we might be familiar with as household brands uh, fall under the banner of MassMart. And it seems now that uh, retrenchment talks and negotiations are underway. Uh, it's actually not a surprise at all because, as you know, MassMart has struggled in the past 10 years uh, from the Walmart acquisition, Walmart buying into the company, and it's it, it, it's literally been a function of... It, it just has never broken through. So it was announced uh, earlier this morning, first thing, that they're doing Section 189, so they're starting the consultation process. They'll be shutting down the Dion brand and closing down um, uh, 10 mass cash stores as well. And yeah, so it, 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 it's one of those things where it was it was bound to happen. They've mm. been struggling in the retail sector. It's, it's literally one of those where they've been struggling because even in their lower in their lower in their lower LSM brands, um, they've been it's they've had uh, negative inflation, mm. and it's been it, it, it's just been one of those where you. You know that it was coming because even when I think of Dion, like I, I live um, when I think of the Dion local store, I never see anyone in there. What's that called, Dion? What's that called, actually? Dion. The fact that you even say that, what's that called? No, no, I must say. I mean, I haven't seen a Dion or a Dion White. Wait, wait, wait. Yes, yes, yes. Actually, I think there is a Dion White. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, ah, the prices though. Okay. They're in the north. They're in the north. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, but just the other thing, I mean, I want us to take a look at here, I guess when it comes to these retrenchments, you'd remember that, uh, you know, MassMart uh, at the time of the merger here uh, with the Walmart uh, had a lot of conditions placed on them by the competition authorities around supplier development and even, I guess, employment. Um, does this particular move, I guess, go against some of those obligations and are they still... Uh, I guess, under, you know, the time horizon of that obligation, because we do know sometimes, you know, they, they'll say it's a five-year obligation. Um, are they still under uh, some form of obligation or, or commitment uh, to uh, commit to some jobs here? I remember the obligation was that the primary, primary obligation during the, um, the approval for the competition for the transaction was there were two primary things. The first one was that there will be no retrenchment. Mm. And I think they've long passed that. It's been over five years. It's been a decade now. So I think they've long passed that. The second aspect was um, supplier development, which I also think their obligation, they were to procure, they were to at most try to procure locally as much as possible and also have a special dispensation in uh, for local SMEs, specifically black-owned enterprises. And they had set up a specific fund to target to target them mm. and to target to target them. I think that dispensation has long also passed because if you look at where they are in the market, remember, a lot of the thing is when they Walmart bought in and they realized that they're not unable to compete with the large retailers, um, they then went to Comcom and to talk to do the lease issue which was announced, we discussed it last year, the exclusive leases. Mm. But again it's been 10 years post-acquisition, so again, too little, too late. Uh, and then they've also been um, impacted generally by the economy. So 
the sector that they're not able to win the grocery war, which is where the bulk retail, retail SA is centralized under food. So they're unable to win the food retailer. Mm. If you look at where Dion competes, which is in the electronics space, they've also not been able to, um, it's a very niche space. And also as the economy is slowing down, how many people buy new TVs, buy how expensive electronics, again, Again, the question then becomes um, they've not been able to effectively compete in that sector as well. Mm. So it's just been one of those poor decisions of poor decisions. The new CEO, um, his job, literally, I think he's been instructed by Walmart to try recruit as much as possible and just try to just turn the situation around. Because Mm. if you think about it in the most, like just that's even though the most horrifying part is that they share price halved last year. They had to cut their um their dividends, declare no interim dividends. So it's just to do and like you notice that it's it's literally you add load shedding to it, sure, you inc- sure. look at increasing municipal tariffs, you add the wage bill. Mm. So it's it's it, it, it's literally they've been hit quite hard and for me I think this is a sign of more retrenchments to yeah. come. Certainly has the makings of a perfect storm. I want us to pause here for a second. When we come back, uh, let's take a look here at what's happening uh, between Nissan and Renault. And uh, many of our listeners would be familiar, of course, with uh, the story of one uh, Gossen. Uh, I think that is the, the guy's surname. is a Brazilian, uh, Lebanese, French uh, a character there. And uh, he uh, managed to escape a Japanese jail. And uh, we understand he's now in Lebanon because he thinks he'll be able to get a fair trial. But uh, on the backdrop of that particular uh, issue and uh, that particular uh, legal battle. It seems that uh, Nissan is trying to move away from a close to 20-year deal uh, that they've had with French car manufacturer Renault. We continue on the other side. Business wrap of the day. Seven minutes it is before 8 p.m. You tuned in to Metro FM Talk here on the Mighty Metro uh, with me, Ayabong Atawe. And uh, we're wrapping up our top business stories of the day. And uh, joining me to do this is uh, independent analyst and market commentator, Snesipo Manindra. Snesipo, uh, what's happening here? Nissan, it seems, uh, I guess, uh, uh, contemplating a potential split here from their tie-up with the French uh, auto manufacturer Renault, and uh, uh, many of us would be familiar, of course, that uh, this particular arrangement, partnership or alliance or whatever we want to call it, uh, has been in place since the year 2000. And uh, maybe, I guess, uh, if you can just give us some of the background here as to why uh, it would have been desirable for us, uh, uh, these two entities, Nissan and Renault, who, uh, I guess, take independent brands into the marketplace uh, to uh, a partner up in the manner that they've done for the last two decades. Um, so, the Nissan story. Can I just say, wow. Like, this man was under house arrest. (laughs) Do you know what he pulled off? Like, okay, let me get... So, I've heard that Hollywood has uh, gotten in touch with uh, Gossin here to say, Hey, Chief, my man, uh, your story uh, is something that movies are made of. So, uh, yeah, but, uh, you know, how did he manage to escape? It's a wow. It's a wow on that level. It's a wow on that level. So, about... Actually, slightly incorrect. They, their partnership started in 1998, was formalized two years later. Mm. Two years later, if we, it, it was first created actually in 1999. It has to do with um, the fact that if you look specifically, the partnership started on the basis of shared resources, 
um, shared technology and also um, just to share in order to compete in the global car maker space. Mm. See, if you look at where Nissan and Renault are, Renault is was very is a dominant. Was it's, it's the Renault Nissan Mitsubishi Alliance, as it's actually called. Um, they were dominant players in their home markets, but not dominant players on a global scale. Because remember, mm. car retails dominated by the U.S. and the Japanese, the Japanese yeah. and the Koreans. Now, in the, in, re- in more recent times, the Koreans. So, in the understanding was to share resources in order to attack the global marketplace, mm. and you know, get into a front where you you're attack, you're getting the consumer on all different classes of vehicle mm. and all different LSM levels. And also a collective yeah. buying power, one would think. I mean, to, to just give them, I guess, the, that kind of bargaining strength when it comes to uh, engagements with suppliers. Yes, particularly mm. your OEMs. Mm. OEMs as well. So it, it, it made sense from that specific, specific sector. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, when did the split, or what accounted for the split here? When, when did it happen? Um, so a lot of what started the split was what happened was the main issue that started the noise and speak was the financial results. Mm. And then, you know, the CEOs being accused of financial misconduct, specifically having to do with the misstatement of financial information. Mm. And, you know, when you start getting into that stuff, you start getting into antitrust. Yeah, yeah. And it becomes one of those things. Um, yeah, that he literally... What and then literally, it's it's one of those things where it's been a lot of there's been a lot of negative PR around it, mm. and part part of the reason was that you know this this alliance specifically when they joined the alliance, Nissan was on the brink of bankruptcy, mm. so this alliance came in and. You know, it, it literally, it just, it has helped the companies. But in, in, in recent times, and this is all car manufacturers globally, it's not just the specific alliance. It's yeah. also been about the simple fact that the rise of electric cars, the, the change in consumer taste and preferences. A lot of car manufacturers globally have, yeah, have seen a bit of trouble. The only one growing double digit happens to be Tesla. Mm, which, of course, is in the same sort of, uh, electric or hybrid market uh, that you you make mention of, uh, but Sinesa, you know, before I let you go, and uh, it's quite unfortunate that we squeezed for time, but I, I want to maybe just hear your perspective, just off the bat here, uh, about what's happening uh, at ESCOM in particular, and then of course, uh, I guess uh, the growing calls for the removal of Pravin Gordon. Uh, I guess the big question is, you know, is that you know the the right action to prevent not only load shedding but uh, the disastrous impact that it's had on the economy. It's really as simple as that. Um, the truth be told is that I think literally when she was at Parliament, she said, ultimately, the shareholder is the problem. The fundamental issue is that ESCOM power plants, not the Dupin Kusili, mm. the old ones have not been maintained in a decade in a bid to escape load shedding. That is costing us right now. Mm, 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 we are uh, in a situation. So, um, because of where I work, we're in a situation where the reality is they need to switch us off. The question is that do they have the courage to switch us off? Will they be allowed to? Because every time I've been hearing that they're maintaining and they're using diesel, it is a reality that diesel is the most 
diesel, the HFO is the most expensive form of fuel. Mm. So they're burning literally billions. That's what they're doing. Every time I hear that, you must be thinking they're burning billions. The truth be told is that they need time for maintenance. There's been these unexpected breakdowns have been happening because of a lack mm. of maintenance. But, but here's yes. the question. Here's the question on my end, right? If we accept that Pravin Gordon is a deployee of um, not only the president, but I would assume the uh, governing party, the ANC, and if he is removed, he'll be replaced by another ANC person. Is the issue not necessarily, I guess, about the, the kind of mandate message or even line of march that he's been given from the center here, which has, uh, I guess, maybe necessitated him to intervene in the manner that he's intervened? Or uh, if not, has he gone rogue? No, I don't think he's gone rogue. I think that's also, also the thing for me. I don't think another deployee will change the structure because mm. the, the, the problem at the center is they're saying, for me, it's a messaging issue. Everyone's like, there must be no load shedding at, at absolutely any cost. There must be no load shedding. Mm. Mm. Without understanding, these power plants, these power plants can go on for decades, but if they're not properly maintained, they are going to have these breakdowns, and it's going to cost us more. Eish, and but the new ones aren't even running at full capacity. Oh. And they're running at which, are, which are, that is caused by design defects. Mm, mm, mm. And again, so again, the funding, So for me, it's not going to change something, but we need to have a clear messaging. And I've actually I've spoken to people, and I was like, guys, if they say to us, guys, we need to maintain because um, these power plants they usually require, depending on the size of the facility and how long have they been running is downtime for each power plant and you if you do it um per per board per 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 set, if you phase it in, it's a period of about three months. Give or take and if you phase it in, it's three months. They need to just tell us, guys, we need to switch you off. Mm. They, really do, they really need to be just as basic and as calculated as that because when we take the pain once. You know? Take the pain. Let's take the pain once because lenders stop and stop mm. when I say it, when they go sure. wrong. So when they go wrong, which is what's happened, that's why they can't keep up with these. Um, and I think um, uh, Chris, Chris Yeland um, did an energy availability factor, talking about the fact that energy availability factor has dropped below 60% and it's now hovering around, it was around 57% in December. December is the lowest amount of energy we use mm. in the entire year. Mm. If it's there in December, if that is a cause, we'll work out. Let's leave it there, Mama. We'll have to leave it there on that sober note.